According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me, if you would, in Proverbs 16. And uh, we're looking at verse 17 this morning and following. I think we covered uh, verse 16 a couple weeks ago. We've been off for two weeks now, three weeks. It's been a while, so... All right, we've got to get back into the Proverbs swing of things as far as that goes. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask our Father's blessing upon our time in His Word. Shall we pray? <coughs> Father, we do thank You for this morning and the blessings we have to assemble together. And we ask for Your faithfulness, Father to open the eyes of our understanding, the ears of our hearing. Father, uh, humble us in our heart that we can receive the word implanted. Father, thank you for the truth that comes. It's timeless, it's eternal, it's powerful, and we need it day by day, moment by moment. So Father, feed us this morning. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so on our last time together, we were looking in verse 16 and uh, talking about the Really the word play, I was trying to make a word play, and I think the scripture does this with respect to acquiring wisdom. Acquiring wisdom, it's a command and it's given again and again and again. Acquire wisdom and with your wisdom acquire uh, understanding. And so that's what we're supposed to do all throughout the, ver- the, the book of Proverbs is acquire wisdom and with your wisdom to acquire understanding. Something that struck me though and what I wanted to share and, and realize is that Beyond the fact of acquiring wisdom means we're learning doctrine and we're growing. We're growing in what? The grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the real issue is the more that we uh, learn from the Word of God, the more Christ-like we're becoming. And so the more that we acquire wisdom, the more we're acquiring Christ. And if that makes sense, then you understand the, the play on words because Jesus is the Logos, and of course the Logos is the written word and the living word, the Son of God, is who, is who we're acquiring when we acquire wisdom, when we acquire uh, the Word of God. It also is the, uh, the alpha moment of all creation when the Father himself acquired wisdom, and he uses that language. He uses the language of acquiring wisdom in Proverbs 8, verses 12, 14, and 22. He's acquiring wisdom when he births the humanity of Jesus Christ. And so, really, if if you were not with us in back in the, the days when we covered Proverbs chapter 8, I would really encourage you to, to review those classes. They're on the website. They're, they're sorted by chapter, so you can find the chapter 8 material pretty easily. But um, when it talks about beginning the humanity of Jesus Christ, in Proverbs 8.12, it says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. So that's wisdom. We're talking about wisdom, and we're told to acquire wisdom. Uh, that's more than just the information of the Bible. That is, we are acquiring Christ himself. That, we are, that, that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory that we have here as church-age saints. And so wisdom is mentioned there. And then uh, verse 14, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. So there is wisdom and there is understanding. And that's what we're supposed to be acquiring. Acquiring wisdom, acquiring understanding. More so than silver and gold and anything else that we can acquire in this life. But then in verse 22 of chapter 8, the Lord possessed me, and that's again, acquired me, acquire wisdom. The Lord acquired me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. And so this beautiful moment, this alpha moment, this moment when something now exists besides God. Remember from all eternity past, uh, it's the I am, it's God. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternal fellowship. But God is the only self-existent being. There is nothing beyond God. There is nothing besides God. There is no universe. There's no angels. There's no men. There's, no, there's nothing except God in eternity past until the Father begets a wisdom. The Father begets the, the humanity of Jesus Christ. Now there's something that didn't exist before. Now there's something that's not eternal. Now there's something that had a beginning, that had a genesis. And that's the humanity of Jesus Christ. And, and really the reason why I try to stress this is because uh, there's a lot of confusion, there's questions that get asked. 
uh, people that are trying to answer the questions concerning hypostatic union, uh, they're right as far as they go, but then they go off the rails. Because they say, well, hypostatic union means that Jesus is both God and man. That's true. Jesus is both God and man. And he specifically, he's God the Son. He's not God the Father. He's not God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God the Son as the God-man. But then they go off the rails when they think, well, deity is eternal. He's always had deity. Humanity is eternal. He's always had humanity. And I say, stop right there. That's where you went off the rails. Hypostatic union had a beginning because humanity had a beginning. There was a time, of course, eternity passed, when God the Son was not the God-man. He did not have the hypostatic union until Proverbs 8.22, until the Father begat that existence at the beginning of His way. And so, really, every time we acquire wisdom, we are reenacting that alpha moment when God the Father acquired wisdom, when He begat the humanity of Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate the celebrity of the universe when we're in Bible class, when we're learning, when we're humble before the Word of God. <coughs> so Proverbs sixteen sixteen says, how much better it is to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen above silver. Doctrine is our number one priority and the more that we acquire wisdom, uh, the more that we're reenacting this alpha moment, the more that we are operating in the Father's design plan from alpha to omega whereby He is promoting the glory of His beloved Son. And that's what we're doing here today. All right, well then that takes us on to verse 17. Not only are we learning truth, but we're living it out in our life. We have a highway that, uh, that we walk in the upright walk. So verse 17 says, The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who watches his way preserves his life. He who watches his way preserves his life. And uh, this is a verse that takes a lot of unpacking, and, and so we'll have some fun with this today. It seems simple, and yet it's not. It, uh, it's, uh, it's, e- it's simple but not easy, I guess that's another way to say it, because it requires effort, it requires diligence, it requires a careful walk, as the New Testament tells us as well. And so here's the point for verse 17. And by the way, this is the central book in the bo- verse in the book of Proverbs. That when the Masoretes counted out their verses, they counted out their chapters, they counted out beginning to end from Proverbs 1 to Proverbs 31, this is the center of the book of Proverbs right here. And uh, some would say it's 16 and 17, others say no, it's just verse 17 by itself. This is the central verse in the book of Proverbs. And as the central verse, it kind of gives us the, the, um, the essence the, the, the essence of the whole book as far as why are we walking in wisdom? Well, because uh, this is the, the information that allows us to depart from evil, to keep our way far from evil. So the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who watches his way preserves or guards his life. And uh, this is what we're going to unpack here this morning. So the central verse of the book of Proverbs by Masoretic Camp. Now, turning away from evil seems simple enough. Turning away from evil seems simple enough. It's like, you know, the Bob Newhart sketch of just stop it, right? Just stop it. And how, how complicated do you want to make it? Or uh, the Nancy Reagan motto of just say no. And, uh, and how simple is that? And somebody offers you drugs, just say no. And then you don't have a drug problem if you never take it, see? And that's uh, the simplicity of that. Same thing with evil. Say no. Uh, decline. Don't, don't take part in that. Because we have a highway that God has blessed us with in the Christian way of life. The Christian way of life is a marvelous highway. And uh, really a, a word here that's used that speaks of, a, of an elevated roadway whereby uh, you're not in the mire and the muck and the, the, the water washes off of it and you're, you're uh, making good time on your, on your journey. <coughs> so it seems simple enough. And it's given throughout the book of Proverbs. It's given very early in Proverbs. In fact, it's a principle that we ground into our children at the youngest of ages. That there is good and evil. You want to obey the good and you want to flee from the evil. You want nothing to do with the wrong decisions of what negative volition will take you to. 
And so in Proverbs 3 and Proverbs 4, in those early Proverbs, you have the parental wisdom that is parents instilling in their children standards of, of good and evil, standards of right and wrong, and how it is that we're pursuing the Lord and we are turning away from evil. <coughs> so it seems simple enough. Let's look at these, Proverbs 3, 7. Of course, 5 and 6 are well known to us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your paths straight. So this will put you on the highway that chapter 16 talks about. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Then verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's the essence of what we're doing. And it seems simple enough. But it requires a watchful guard duty. It requires being on the alert, guarding your not just your uh, actions, but your thinking, guarding your soul as you keep yourself on this path. And so a child can learn this here in, uh, in Proverbs 3. Proverbs 4 <clears throat> stresses this as well. And... Uh, We'll have a larger, well, the bottom of the slide as well, slightly redundant. I got 427 listed in the first part, and then 423 through 27 listed in the second part. So I'll go ahead and catch it right now. Um, Recognize in verse 23, it says, watch over your heart with all diligence. And so there is a watchful guard duty that has to be exercised, that every believer has to make sure that they're um, that they're uh, on the alert for the snares, for the poisons, for the sins that will damage their own soul. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Put devious speech far from you. Uh, the things that come out of your mouth are going to be reflections of your heart. So if you're guarding your heart, then uh, this will be taken care of. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. That's how we run with endurance, the race that's set before us. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're looking to the Lord and nowhere else. See, if we start to look around and decide, well, what else is there? What kind of fun am I missing out on? What is it here that this seems fun? They're running off over there. Why can't I go over there? Then uh, we're off the path. We're off the path because we took our eyes off the target. And that's, uh, you know, again, seems simple enough. Why do we struggle to, uh, to do these things day to day. It's like Peter walking on the water. As long as he was looking at the Lord, he was walking across the water. But then when he starts looking around because the waves were picking up, the wind started blowing, he took his eyes off the Lord. He started looking around at the wind and the waves, and what happens? He starts to sink, and he cries out, Lord, help. And so, uh, you know, you, you have a little faith, why did you take your eyes off the Lord? And uh, it seems simple enough. So uh, so there it is. Watch the path of your feet. So verse 25, let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. If you're looking where you're supposed to be looking, the path, you, you're not going to stumble. The path is a highway. It's smooth, it's straight, it's, it's obstacle-free as far as um, the Lord's not going to cause us to stumble. <laughs> Do not turn to the left or the right. Uh, Turn your foot from evil. Turn your foot from evil. And and really, this verb is curious to me. Uh, The verb does speak of a turning every single time. And it's not just avoiding evil, but turning away from evil. I think the verb itself recognizes that we're sinners, recognizes that we have a sin nature, that we're in Adam, and we're going to have a bent inside of us that's going to keep pointing us that way. And every time that bent points us that way, we've got to turn back and say, no, we're not doing that. We're looking where we're supposed to be looking and uh, keeping our eyes where they're supposed to be. Proverbs 14. And so two chapters that are directed towards children, two chapters here that are directed towards adults. Proverbs 14, 16. A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil but a fool is arrogant and careless. 
there the, the term for cautious speaks to, again to the mindfulness that we're not uh, so arrogant to think that it couldn't happen to us. We know it could happen to us. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And if you think it couldn't happen to you, it's about to happen to you because you're so arrogant right now that uh, you're vulnerable and it's going to happen any minute. And so uh, the wise man is cautious and turns away from evil. But a fool, he thinks, hey, no sweat, no problem. I got this handled. And he's, uh, he's a fool, so he's arrogant and he's careless. He just assumes that he's got this all figured out and everything's going great. And he's not thinking it through. He's not on the alert. He's kind of trying to put his Christian walk on autopilot, and you can't do that. Scripture doesn't let you do that. Angelic conflict doesn't let you do that. Your sin nature doesn't let you do that. <clears throat> of course, 16.6 is uh, in the chapter we're at today. It's, uh, we've already covered this even before you get to verse 17. Back to verse 6. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. Remember, we, we saw a loving kindness and truth, grace and truth. This is a picture of Jesus Christ. This is a, a description of salvation. It's really a good Old Testament verse for, uh, for uh, Old Testament salvation. By grace and truth. Remember, the law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so, of course, it's by loving kindness and truth that iniquity is atoned for. And then, by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. We have our justification followed by our sanctification. How do we keep ourselves from evil? How do we keep turning back when uh, sin wants to point us the wrong direction? Well, the fear of the Lord is, is a good first step. You fear the Lord, you live in His Word, you keep your eyes focused on, uh, on, on the Lord, and that's what you're supposed to do. <coughs> Two other texts in the wisdom literature, I think, reinforce this. Job 28, the earliest book of the Bible. So this is foundational, just uh, what, about six generations after the flood? Seven generations after the flood, probably? It's pre-Abrahamic. I put Job at about two generations before Abraham. If you want, you can find uh, the genealogy in Genesis 10, by the way, where he's called Jobab. And count those generations from, uh, from Noah. But Job 28, 28... Um, this is such an amazing chapter where he talks about how do we find wisdom and uh, Job was very experienced with wealth understood the uh, mechanics of mining talks about the mining for silver a place where they refine gold how iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from rock so beyond just the raw ore that you dig out of the earth you then have the smelting procedures to purify, refine, and forge your metals. Talks about all the effort that it takes to dig a shaft into the earth, how much uh, effort it takes to dig down there and, and bring light with you and breathe. <laughs> and uh, amazing. But uh, they do so to find the, uh, the sapphires in verse 6 and the gold and all the other wealth. But where can wisdom be found? How deep do you got to dig to find the wisdom of God? Well, you can't dig for it. Not physically. You just got to dig for it metaphorically. You dig for it in the canon, in the, in the written word of God. Where can wisdom be found is verse 12. Where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says it is not in me. The sea says it is not with me. And uh, how do you obtain it? <coughs> Um, even Abaddon and death, Abaddon and death, say, verse 22, with our ears we have heard a report of it. I find that interesting. All right. And so then here's what God provides. God knows. God understands its way. He knows its place. It's from his treasuries that he brings wisdom forth. And uh, here's how he provides it. And um, verse 28, to man he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To depart from evil is understanding. So you see the, the twin applications there of wisdom and understanding. And it's the fear of the Lord to start with, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But then departing from evil is the application. You're learning the Word of God and you're living it out. 
you, uh, you have the intake and the inhale and the exhale, the perception and the application of Bible doctrine. And there it is in the very first book of the Bible, the earliest book ever written in, uh, in the life of Job who had no Hebrew scriptures available to him in uh, the early uh, eras of the dispensational, uh, dispensation of the Gentiles. Psalm 34, 14. Quite likely the psalm that is the basis of all of these Proverbs we're looking at, quite likely the, it is a Davidic psalm and uh, clearly had an impact uh, from David to Solomon and shapes uh, many of the Proverbs that Solomon would then write. <coughs> the uh, verse 10 says, let's see, this is such an amazing psalm too when he had to feign madness and be rescued from Abimelech. And uh, not only did he have a rescue but his companions learned and were blessed by his example. So verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. You will never regret serving Jesus Christ or growing in the Word of God. You will never regret, you'll never look back over 30 years and say, well, I just wasted those years with all that Bible study. It'll never happen. You know, what you will regret is the time you spend in carnality and the time you spend in, um, you know, sinful areas and other things. The young lions do lack, I love that, and fear suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. He gives, he gives uh, the, from the Father of lights with whom there is no uh, shadow of turning. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And so turning away from evil. It seems simple enough, but we realize it takes diligent uh, work. Watchful guard duty. Watching over your lips. Watching over your thinking. Watching over your eyes making sure you're not looking to the wrong object, keeping your eyes where they need to be. <clears throat> New Testament builds on this. Romans 12. And I hope we understand this. This is not legalism. This is not an artificial, phony, uh, religious structure that just you know wave, shakes a rod at the religious adherents and says, "Be a good person, don't do evil things," and whereby we're we're in this we're underneath this legalistic system of of fear to not do bad things or God's going to blast us. No, this is far from that. This is in grace, living in the Word of God, loving the Lord in fellowship with with God Himself. And the outworking of that, of course, is turning away from evil and walking in the light and glorifying His Son and all the blessings there. There's nothing legalistic about it. If it descends to that kind of legalistic judgmentalism, you've missed the whole point of what a blessing it is to fellowship with Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to saturate your soul with doctrine and to just taste and see that the Lord is good. All right, so Romans 12. And this is the uh, transformation that happens here in the Word of God. In verse 2 it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, demonstrate, exhibit the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the same thing we saw in the Old Testament now, I think it's expanded even more for church-age saints. We're living in the Word of God and it changes who we are. We're not who we used to be. And we're not who we're going to be. God is taking us on his, uh, in His plan and program to where He's taking us. And that means our transformation that we see here. Let love, verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. If you're really going to live it out, then love has to be real. And love includes something that you embrace and something that you turn away from. And uh, that hatred is, is really a love application. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Not only do you turn away from it, you abhor it. 
you push it away. You don't even want it within arm's distance. You don't want to be close enough to smell it. You want it to be so far away from it. And then cling to what is good. This is the clinging and cleaving and the intimacy of a, of a man and a woman kind of a thing. We should be intimate with the Word of God in our embrace. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 1 Thessalonians 5.22 Living in the Word of God, walking this Christian walk, Here's where we have our pray without ceasing, rejoice always and everything, give thanks. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. And so be hungry for the word of God. Of course, we don't have the gift of prophecy anymore today, but we can still make application from this. Do not quench the spirit. Don't, uh, you know, when you stop making doctrine your priority, stop making the assembling of yourselves a priority. Stop listening to Bible class as the Word of God goes forth. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Every form of evil. And uh, even if it's, well, it's only partly evil. Well, it's a form of evil then, isn't it? You know, even the appearance of evil. If, uh, if there is an accusation that can be made because something you're doing and maybe you're doing it in, in liberty and you've got liberty to do such and such, but if it causes a brother to stumble because he doesn't understand what you're doing or why you're doing it and it has the appearance of evil, then that, uh, that can cause a brother to stumble. So if it has an appearance of evil, why are you doing it? You know, do you really want to go around, spend your whole life clearing up uh, uh, confusion and, and misperceptions and whatever? Or is it not better to simply avoid the appearance of evil in the first place so that those little rumors don't get started, so the little whispering doesn't take place? See? And even, uh, you know, even uh, uh, the devil will take something that even is purely innocent and looks great, but he takes it and he starts the little whispers and goes, ooh, you know what, you know what the pastor's doing? You know, and starts talking about little things. And he sure is spending a lot of time with a certain woman, not his wife. And, and, and these little rumors get started and little whispering happens. Okay, well, <clears throat> are you conducting yourself in such a way where that kind of an appearance could be believable? Or are you conducting yourself in such a way where it's not even believable at all? Because uh, the pastor is never alone with a woman that's not his wife. And he's never taking a business trip with a woman. He's never in a car with a woman. He's never in a hotel with a woman, not his wife. So if he starts to spread those rumors, there's not even the appearance of evil to, to lend weight or credibility to, to the slander. Remember, slander is, is untrue. And the slanderer uh, will make up anything as far as that goes. Remember, if it's true, it's not slander. <laughs> it's gossip. All right, <clears throat> so that's Romans twelve nine. Love be without hypocrisy. First uh, Thessalonians five twenty two. Uh, hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And then First Peter three eleven is uh, is a quotation from Psalms. So in a sense, we've already read it, but it gives us a good. Here's husbands and wives in marriage. <coughs> and then to sum up. So you get verses 1 through 7 that address the wives and the husbands. And then verse 8, the summary statement. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. This is uh, premarital counseling going to happen here tonight, and it's going to come from this passage right here. So not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. And we all inherit a blessing in the royal family of God, but your spouse is your fellow heir where the two of you are walking as fellow heirs with the grace of life. And so it becomes a very important marital application. And then the psalm quotation. 
For the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. For the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So these are the wisdom applications and you can have it right there in your marriage. You want to be a better husband? Be a better Christian. You want to be a better wife? Be a better Christian. Be a disciple in the Word of God. Be walking in the light of the Word of God and then watch how those principles then bless your marriage in in establishment life. All right, well that seems simple enough. Just don't do it, okay? Do, you know, do the good, don't do the evil. Um, Doesn't that seem simple enough? Well, this high road requires watchful guard duty. (coughs) And one thing I want to stress as I I didn't really put the vocabulary out there. Oh, yes, I did. It's going to come up in subpoint B. All right, so I'll save that for subpoint B. Because there's two terms for guard duty, and they're both right here. And the, the, the shamer and the not say are two terms that speak of watchfulness, that speak of being awake, on the alert, and guarding what has been entrusted to you. So we'll deal with those in point B. Let's just talk about this watchful guard duty, being on the alert, such as Proverbs 4. We already read Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. How about Proverbs 19, 16? <coughs> He who keeps the commandments. This is shamer, to keep, to guard, to defend, to protect. Adam was told to guard the garden. And um, he who keeps the commandments. It's not just an issue of obedience. The commands are the commands. The word of God is the word of God. And we learn from it, we accept it, we, we humble ourselves before it. But in a sense, we also guard the word. We become defenders of, of the faith. We become contenders for the truth that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. And so in obeying the word of God, we are guarding it. And, and what are we guarding it against? Are we guarding it against the adversary? Are we guarding it against the, uh, the enemies, the atheists, the tempters that are trying to... Well, in a sense, we're guarding the word of God against ourselves, against our own neglect, against our own attitude that would, that would blow it off as, as not important, right? If you treasure God's Word in your heart, you won't sin against Him. And that's, that's where obeying becomes a guarding, becomes a keeping. And so you're keeping the commandment, not just by obeying and doing what you're told to do, but you're actually keeping that commandment, you're internalizing it, you're keeping it, you're treasuring it within your heart, and, uh, and notice what it does. It keeps his soul. Same verb, shamer, and it's used twice. So if you shamer the commandments, the commandments will shamer your soul. How, how about that? How glorious is that? But, but you've got to take the word and plant it, and you've got to treasure it there and keep it there and guard it there. Your soul is the, is the storehouse of, of doctrine. So keep it there, guard it there. And while it sits in there, it's not doing nothing. It's actually working. It's working hard. Okay? And it's working hard to guard your soul. But he who is careless of conduct will die. (laughs) If you have a lackadaisical haphazard matter, operational death is right around the corner. You're going to be carnal quicker than you know it. In fact, you're going to have carnal mental attitudes before you even realize you've committed your first overt sin. And so you're in, you're in the realm of operational death at that point. It requires watchful guard duty. Matthew ten sixteen. as Jesus speaks to this. <clears throat> Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So what do you think the application is going to be? Be careless about what you're doing? <laughs> you know, just walk around willy-nilly and do whatever? No, be on the alert. Be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. Have your eyes open. They will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. All right? 
So a sheep in the midst of wolves, this high road requires watchful guard duty. Be intelligent about what you're doing. Be smart about what you're doing. And don't just, uh, don't be pethy, the, the naive fool that's just, you know, having fun running with his buddies and doesn't realize that the end thereof is the ways of death. Ephesians 5.15 Therefore, be careful how you walk. Be careful. Don't just think it automatically happens. Or that, well, I'm saved now, so everything I do is going to be in the will of God. No, are you kidding me? Be careful how you walk. There is uh, the old way of life, and now your new way of life. But if you're not careful how you walk, you'll get dragged back into that old way of life, uh, you know, day after day. So um, it says in verse 7, do not be partakers with them. You were formerly darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. There's what you used to be. There's what you are now. There's what you used to do. There's what you should be doing now. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That seems simple enough, but it takes work. It takes diligence. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. If you're not a disciple and you're not trying to learn, you're not striving in your discipleship, then you're, you're not being uh, conform, uh, transformed by the Word of God. You're being conformed by this world and you're just as worldly as the unbeliever. So do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Just expose them. Say, nope, that was my old manner of life. That's not my new manner of life. And all you have to do to expose them is just demonstrate your new nature as light in the Lord. I'm not doing that. (coughs) So instead, even expose them. And so they're doing their deeds of darkness. You're walking in the light. It will be on display for everyone that watches what you're doing versus what they're doing. And that's, uh, that's the display. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. That's a hard verse to preach in today's generation because we are a social media culture whereby everything is just out there. And everything is, and I don't know, I mean, what is it that people don't even talk about anymore? It seems like they talk about everything. And the Bible says there's some things you shouldn't be talking about. There's some things you shouldn't be thinking about. And it's disgraceful to think about them, disgraceful to talk about them, don't even mention them, okay? And uh, I think as a culture we've lost that. And uh, certain uh, sins that dare not name their name, they're, now they're just celebrated, now they've got parades, now, they, now it's all just uh, out there. And we shouldn't even be discussing it. <clears throat> but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. Everything that becomes visible is light. And so your light will expose it and uh, keep walking in the light. For this reason it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead, Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, (coughs) not as unwise men, but as wise, redeeming the time, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If I run out of voice, I'll just bring Doug up here and he can sing that verse. I know Doug's got a tune for uh, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. All right. (coughs) If Jesus tells you to be careful, what do you think that means? Be careful. Okay. That's something else our our, uh, culture is kind of lost on. Warning labels. I don't take any warning label seriously. Or very few warning labels. Okay, there's some I take seriously. But many of them I just laugh at. Because most warning labels were put there by stupid lawyers. Okay? And stupid lawyers, you know, like the, the, you buy an iron and the, the box says, don't iron your clothes while you're wearing your clothes. 
Okay? Well, that's stupid. What kind of moron does that? The point is, nobody does that except somebody claims they did that, so they sued the iron company, and so they're trying to get money in a lawsuit. And now the lawyers are trying to defend their company, the manufacturers of all these products. And, uh, and so they put these notices on there. You know, on a Superman costume for little kids on Halloween. The Superman costume. And what does it say on that label? It says, wearing this costume does not give you the ability to fly. Okay? Again, I wouldn't have thought so, but maybe a little kid would have thought so, or who knows. And so somebody jumps off a thing and they get hurt. And so lawyers are now putting labels on everything so that they can kind of limit the damages when they get to court. And they can tell the judge, look, we tried, judge. You know, and the judge says, okay, yeah, you tried. And uh, you're still going to pay for this poor kid. Okay, things like that. So we get these warning labels. And our culture is just full of them in their lives. There's whole websites dedicated to, to silly warning labels. Okay? Well, not in our Bible. Okay? There's no silly warning label in our Bible. When God says be careful, he means be careful. Be careful how you walk. Because this, uh, this, this world will trip you up. The adversary will, has all kinds of snares out there. And he's good at what he does. He's been doing it a long, long time. And, uh, and he knows you very well. He knows uh, how to push the buttons and, and what to do related to that. All right. So this high road requires watchful guard duty. In fact, the expression is, is really neat. The poetry of this verse is, is extraordinary because not only do we have an A part and a B part like we normally have, even the B part is itself a, uh, a parallel. The B part by itself is a parallel. <coughs> So in 16.17, the A part says, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. The B part says, he who watches his way preserves his life. That B part itself is a parallel because it includes these two words for guard duty and, uh, and the word for soul and the word for way. And uh, these are the things that we have to guard. So guarding your soul watching over your way, guarding your soul, watching over your way, is how I would render those participles and in, in those um, these phrases here. Shomer, and I know there's no Hebrew readers here this morning, but Shomer and Natser, these are our terms. And it's, it's neat to see them together. There's Shomer and there's Notser, all right? And even if you don't read the Hebrew, you can still see that there's a, a dot there and two dots under there. There's a dot there and two dots under there. And so that's your participle and that's your participle. And uh, they're put in parallel there, shomer, notzer. And as you, as you shomer your nephesh, that's your soul. So guarding your soul. Guarding your soul. Shomer is, a, is, the, is really the dominant word for guarding. I'll give that to you here. It's uh, number 8104. It's used 468 times in the, New, in the Old Testament. I mean, it's just everywhere. From guarding the garden and, and so forth. <coughs> and then Natser doesn't have nearly the, uh, the frequency. It's only used 60 times. But essentially it's interchangeable and synonymous with Shamer. Uh, only, only maybe with a, a nuance of difference between them. In fact, when it's used separately, it grabs your attention because it's not Shomer. And you go, oh, okay, this speaks to, to something else here. And, uh, but there are 12 verses that combine both words and, and use them both together. And this is one of 12 um, where, where these two terms are used together. So you have your your soul that has to be guarded, and you have your derrick. You have your way that has to be guarded. And if we want to uh, translate both words guarded, we can, but that then becomes awkward in, uh, in English. So let's see what this does here. Now that looks weird to me. Does that look weird to you? Yeah. I'm going to tweak my... Resolution settings before tonight.
All right, so what I was going to show you before I run out of time. Here's our color wheel for Shamir. And I'll make it larger. And then here's our color wheel for Natsair. And I'll make that larger too. And I'll just put them side by side. All right. Oh, those trees are just... <laughs> what are they pollinating? Goodness. <clears throat> All that pollination going on. All right. Larger. Larger. So, notice uh, for Shamir... The dominant translation is this one down here at the bottom because uh, these segments of the wheel are proportional to the, the number of uses. So to keep, keep, keeping keeps, those are the usages there. Or observe, observed, observes, kept, uh, to be careful, carefully, guarded, to guard, to watch. I'll make it too large, then the words get off the edge there. So to keep, to observe, to uh, be careful, to guard, or to watch. Those are all the ways that Shamer is translated. Then you look at Nasser, to preserve, to observe, to keep, to guard, to watch. And you say, well, wait a minute, those are the same exact English words. <clears throat> that the, our English Bibles are doing the same things with both verbs. And so what is the distinction between them? Well... This is where it's more of an art than a science, as we recognize, okay, there is a nuance to a distinction of Natser that uh, is uh, preservative, that it does speak to a, uh, a sustaining, a sustenance that occurs through watching. That's more than we'll get into this morning. Let's uh, try to get through these before we run out of time and I run out of voice. Um, and you'll just see how they're used. They're used a lot of times in poetry. They're used a lot of times in just a, a parallelism where um, you don't want to use the same word a second time because that becomes redundant. But if you switch the word over to the synonym, then you've got a nice uh, poetic structure to your song or to your, uh, to your literature. Deuteronomy 33.9. And hopefully we get the sense of this. The idea of protection, I think, is built into our DNA. I think it's designed into our creation. That God is a father, that God is a protector. I think that's built into us, that we are, have a protective instinct as fathers, as mothers, as parents. You get the <clears throat> the mama grizzly in her cub, or you get the... There's just an instinct for protection that's built in by design. And I think that's part of us in the image of God who is a protector. He is a provider and he is a protector. And I like that. <clears throat> so Deuteronomy 33.9, uh, who said of his father and his mother, okay, this is of Levi, he said, backing up to verse 8, of Levi, he said, let your thummim and your urim belong to a godly man, whom you proved at Massah, with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and his mother, I did not consider them, and he did not acknowledge his brothers, nor did he regard his own sons, for they observed your word, they kept your covenant. And so they observed your word, that's uh, either Shamer or Natser, and then they kept your covenant, and that's the other one. You got both of the terms here. They observed your word, they kept your covenant. So they shall teach your ordinances to Jacob and your law to Israel. They shall put incense before you and hold burnt offerings on your altar. This is actually a beautiful text. I love the, uh, the little glimpse that we have here. If it wasn't for this text, we wouldn't know anything positive about Levi at all. Uh, we would have just bad examples of Simeon and Levi and what they did at Shechem and some other terrible things. But, the, but what we learn here is not spelled out in, in Exodus, but what we find out here is at these rebellions, at the Mara Rebellion and the Meribah Rebellion, the tribe of Levi stood up and said, wait a minute guys, the tribe of Levi stood up and uh, did not partake 
And uh, they observed and they kept. And it's on that basis then that Levi gets set apart as a priestly tribe, which is, uh, I think it's a testimony to God's grace. Psalm 12, 7. Yeah, some people wonder, why was Levi picked to be a priestly tribe? Because Levi and Simeon were such violent men. And uh, we don't have a good, well, you you find that verse right there and you see that they stood faithful in very trying times. Psalm 12, 7. Verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. How pure is that? If you're going to refine it seven times, you're, you're getting a pretty you know high-carat uh, purity. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. So Yahweh is actually the agent of this verse. Yahweh is the one who is keeping and guarding. He is keeping and guarding. You will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. It's a tandem that God himself engages in. Psalm 105 and verse 45. Everything God did for his people, what did he not do for them? He did everything for them. He opened the rock and water flowed out. It ran in the dry places like a river. He remembered his holy word with Abraham, his servant. He brought forth his people with joy, his chosen ones with a a joyful shout. He gave them also the lands of the nations that they might take possession of the fruit of the people's labor so they might keep his statutes and observe his laws Praise the Lord. Israel was expected to both Shamer and Natser, his statutes and his laws. Psalm 119. Here's a believer with a love affair with doctrine. Verse 33 says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Both to observe and to keep is both to shamer and to notzer. Make me to walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. I mean, you're just eager, absolutely eager, eager to learn every chance you get, eager to apply every chance you get. Every day is an adventure in living out the Word of God. Psalm 140 and verse 4. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men. This is David's prayer. Asking the Lord for protection. And he uses both Shamer and Natser in parallel. Keep me and preserve me. Keep me and preserve me. This is what God will do. All right, well... Proverbs 2, 8, and 11, you can read those. Proverbs 4, 6, Proverbs 5, 2, Proverbs 13, 3. Our verse today is Proverbs 16, 17. And then the final use in Proverbs is Proverbs 27, 18. <coughs> I will let you read those on your own and, uh, and close in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your truth and the blessings we have to study and grow. I pray that your word would be alive and powerful, that it not be limited in any way because of allergies and and silly voice and throat issues. Father, let your children be blessed. Let them grow. The power of your Holy Spirit teaching us what we need to learn. Um, Guard us and preserve us, Father. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.